to Philippians, the second chapter. We are working our way through this wonderful little book, and uh, we are in the second chapter, and today I believe we're going to head down to verse 17, and I'm going to read uh, verse 17 on down, and I'll tell you how we were going to deal with this little section. Um, Paul talks in verse 17 about being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. He's talking to the Philippians. I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also are glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus, and this is where it sort of gets interesting. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not those things which are Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, Timothy, as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon to see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself will come to you shortly. And that's important. Verse 25, I also considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for all of you and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, with the Lord, with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. We uh, saw over the past several weeks that we are called to work out our wives' salvation, right? I always want to say that just to catch your attention. Work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We don't work out anybody else's. It's, what's the old song? It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer, right? How many remember that one? Not my father, not my mother, but it's me, oh Lord, right? Yeah, so it's us. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We work out that salvation with reverence and sensitivity, we are obedient as humble servants, and then we discovered uh, last week that we're holding forth the word of life to a corrupt and twisted generation. And there was a verse that came to my mind as I was pondering that again, uh, when Jesus said in Luke 21, in patience, possess your souls. (laughs) There's two words I don't like in that verse, patience and possess. (laughs) Wow, in patience, possess your soul. But you know what's interesting about that? If you, re- if you read the whole context there, Jesus starts off by saying, not a hair on your head shall be lost, which I still don't understand because I've lost a lot of hairs on my head. But I guess he knows where they are. There's one on Market Street, and there's one on South Avenue. There's a couple over here. Uh, but, but he says, not a hair of your head will be lost. And then when he says, possess your souls, it's interesting that the word souls there is the exact same word as head. He's doing a little play on words, Jesus is. And he's in essence saying, not a hair in your head will be lost, so now possess your heads. <laughs> don't lose your heads. Not a hair on your head will be lost, so don't lose. Keep your heads. Don't run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Keep your head, keep your minds. Because you see, we are the ones with the straight paths. We are the ones with the narrow gate. We are the ones that light 
defeats the darkness in. We are the one that has the truth that opens blind eyes. We have the truth that opens deaf ears. A veil has fallen over their eyes, but not ours. We can see clearly. Their eyes have been, uh, their ears have been stopped. Their minds are confused. If anyone is going to save the world from falling over the cliff, it's going to be us, folks. We're the ones with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to lose our heads along with them. They can lose their heads. We don't have to. We become light and life in darkness. So Paul continues this whole thought by giving two wonderful examples of Christian lifestyle. So instead of going verse by verse through these whole things as we usually do, I'm going to take this last big section and take this week and next week to deal with these sections altogether. Uh, and we're going to look at both Timothy and Epaphroditus as one, and we're gather all the circumstances that make a positive Christian lifestyle. And I think I picked around six or seven out of these all the way down through verse 30. So we're going to look at the first few today, and next week we'll finish it. So we're going to look at a number of them. A living sacrifice, seeking the things of Christ, being an encourager. These are all in those verses. Having proven character, supplying the need, and being faithful against all odds. So we're looking at the first three. A living sacrifice. These are the characteristics that we need to have in our calling. A living sacrifice. We need to seek the things of Christ, and we need to be an encourager and be encouraged. So let's, let's look at these points very quickly today. Number one, a living sacrifice. Now, here's what's interesting about this. We can assume that Paul is talking about his soon coming death because he says, I am about to be poured out as a sacrifice. Verse 17, I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice. And he's using Hebrew terminology here, temple terminology, because they would take a drink offering and they would pour it on the hot sacrifice and it would sizzle and burn away. So he's using that imagery. So we can assume that he's talking about his death. But here's the thing. The, the, the phrase that he uses after this in Philippians 1, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Remember we talked about this? Having a desire to be with Christ, which is far better. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all. Hmm. Then in verse 24, we just read it. I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come to you shortly. Paul thought he was going to live. Isn't that something? He was wrong. Isn't it great that Paul was wrong? He's just like you and me. How many have ever been wrong? We're in good company with the Apostle Paul. He thought he was going to live and go see the Philippians again. He didn't know that in a very short time his head was going to be separated from his shoulders. Interesting. So... Since he thought he was, you know, whenever I read about guys in the Bible making mistakes, I just love it. (laughs) I love it. It's like the guy that went for a job interview and the manager said, we're looking for someone who is responsible. And the guy said, well, I'm your man because in my last job, whenever anything went wrong, they said I was responsible. So, (laughs) So... Since Paul thought that he was going to keep on living, that he was going to be living and going back and visiting the Philippians, then he must be talking about being a living sacrifice, not a dead one. He was talking about living a poured out lifestyle, not a final pouring out. 
Now, this makes sense because to the Romans in the 12th chapter, we know it very well. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I've said before, wouldn't it be great if we could just be a dead sacrifice and get it over? That as soon as you accept Christ as your Savior, you just, you're gone. Wouldn't that be great? No, we got to live here. And we got to live here as a living sacrifice poured out every day, poured out. Well, this tells me several things, that if Paul is thinking about living this life with the Philippians and Ephesus and all the rest, if he's talking about living that poured out lifestyle, then number one, if you're poured out, you've got to get refilled, don't you? If you're going to be poured out one last time, that's it. You don't have to worry about it. But if you're going to be continually poured out, then you must be continually refilled. That's why every day we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Every day we need a fresh anointing of this word in our lives. Every day we have to have this word hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against him. Every day, every, every day, what am I talking about? Every second we need an infilling. So that's number one. Number two, if you're going to be poured out, this is not a physical thing. This is being poured out as a spiritual worship. Paul in Romans 12 that I just quoted says, this is your reasonable service, or the actual Greek there is your spiritual worship. The word there is actually liturgia, from which we get liturgy. So Paul is saying, this is your daily liturgy to live as a spiritual offering to Jesus. That's your liturgy. That's how you do it. And always remember, uh, in our walk with the Lord, everything always begins in the spirit and ends in the flesh. We never start in the flesh. We always start in the spirit. Paul told the Galatian believers, I think it's Galatians 3, having begun, oh, foolish Galatians. (laughs) When you try to do stuff in the flesh, you just become foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit... Are you going to complete your salvation in the flesh? No. Are you going to go back to codes and rituals and moons and suns and feasts and and calendars and dates? No. We don't do it that way. We complete it by starting in the spirit first. So it's in the spirit. We get into trouble when we try to do things in the flesh first. Without the leading of the Holy Spirit... Without the instruction of the word, we get in trouble. Everything we do must be in spiritual worship first, not fleshly activities. It's not my good ideas. It's not our good preaching. It's not our good singing. It's not our good church services. It's not whether or not we have water. (laughs) It's none of those things. It all begins in the power of the spirit with the word, not us. Not us. I was reading, as I said, I don't read too much about modern stuff because it just aggravates me in the church. But I was reading a, a particular thing that was written by a church planter, and he had four reasons why, why people are getting tired of the church. <laughs> I thought that was a good article to read. And I'll just give you two of them. And these are very, very good. He said, first of all, your Sunday productions have worn thin. The stage, the lights, the bands, the video screens have all become white noise to those who really are just seeking an encounter with God. They're eye and ear candy for an hour, but they have little relevance to what people need. Folks, what we really need is an encounter with God in the spirit. That's what we need. We need changed hearts and minds and lives. That's what we need.
And the second one he said is, is even better. Oh, the, these hurt. They're really great. Your vision can't see past your building. The coffee bar, the cushy couches, the high-tech lights, the funky children's wing, and the uber-cool teen center are all top-notch and costly. It seems like most of your time, money, and energy are about luring people to where you are instead of reaching people where they already are. That's not an amen. That's an oh my. Right? It's true. It's true. What we do has to be spiritual worship and not carnal labor. Spiritual worship that follows him and opens our heart to him. I was driving down the road. I pulled out of the church uh, uh, one of the afternoons here. I pulled out of the church and and this car passed me, and, and I was following down the road. It was one of the days. It was real nice. And, and, and this woman, she was alone in her car, and she had her, we had our windows down. It was real nice. And she had her hand out, and she was like this, and the whole way down Kirk. And I'm thinking, does she know everybody? <laughs> and then and, and I, it was just, and then I saw her head move, and I said, oh, she's listening to some music or something. So then, then I saw at a certain point as we were approaching Cornersburg, her other hand went up too. I don't recommend that, folks, but sometimes you need to worship with both hands up even when you're driving. Sometimes you just have, sometimes it gets to that point, right, where you say, forget it, Lord. Jesus, take the wheel, because I'm worshiping. But the reason I knew it was worship because I got up right, right. Uh, uh, she pulled into uh, Handyman Supply, and and uh, right at that red light there, our windows are down, and she was playing it loud, and it was one of the worship songs that we sang, and she was just worshiping Lord. She pulled in, so I pulled in behind her, and as she was getting out of her car to go into Handyman Supply, I, I pulled right, in, right, right in front of her, and I said, I opened my window, I said, Sister, you were just blessing me the whole way down Kirk. And she said, oh, really? I said, yeah, hallelujah. And we exchanged pleasantries and praising the Lord and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's spiritual. Every day, every moment, we've got to be in tune with his spirit and not with our flesh. And then he, and then he ends up by saying, this living sacrifice is when you are poured out, poured out. Let me tell you something about being poured out. It sounds like a negative thing. It sounds like, well, I'm pouring out myself. But folks, we are poured out with joy and rejoicing. Our sacrifice to him is not drudgery. It's not hardship. It's joy. When I pour out myself to him, guess what he does? He pours himself back into me. When I sow in tears, I reap in joy. When I give, he gives, pressed down, shaken together, and running over back into me. When I empty my Myself, out of my belly flows rivers of living water that bubbles up into a spring and flows out. I can learn the joy of having a broken heart before him. I love what Isaiah the prophet said. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy I will draw water out of the wells of salvation oh that's what we do today folks we draw out of the well of the word of God we draw out of the well of the Holy Spirit we draw well out of the well of worship and praise we don't draw anything from our flesh because there's nothing there nothing there as a living sacrifice 
I'm dead in Christ, so it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by him, by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Oh my goodness. Hallelujah. So I don't, I don't need to worry. I don't need to fear. I don't need to dread. I, don't, I, I was here, I heard on the news. I, I try not to see it, but you know it pops up everywhere. Like, like vermin, it just pops up everywhere. And I re- just read that Boston University just perfected a new COVID, right? That's now 80% lethal. Isn't that great? I'm so glad I don't have to be afraid of it. I don't. I don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. There's no dread. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. I can keep my head while everyone else around me is losing there, not because of me, but because of Jesus. <laughs> and, and all of this living sacrifice is based on the second point, and that is seeking the things of Christ. Paul says, there are those that seek their own thing, and they do not seek the things of Christ. So this is the second characteristic, seeking the things of Christ. The word there actually means to strive after. But the question is, for what are we striving? What what are the things of Christ? Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I believe it's personal. You need to find out in your life what the things of Christ are. And you need to do them. You need to do them. And we can't judge each other. We need to do them. Now, one of the ways that we can find this out, in theology, there's a a way of thinking, it's called the way of negation. So if you're trying to figure something out, like for instance, what is God, or who is God? Well, it's hard to figure out what he is. So use the way of negation, which is the opposite way of thinking, and you can figure out what he is not. Well, he's not evil, he's not darkness. He's not, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we can, we can apply that here because I believe that the key to understanding the things that belong to Christ are found in one small word where Paul says they own their certain things. Therefore, they don't seek Christ. The others have become engulfed in the ocean of their own private interests. Hmm. This is what's interesting about this. Uh, as I was thinking about this, the thought came to me about the parable of the sower and the seed. You, you know it well. And the seed, of course, is the word. And, and the, the sower goes forth, he sows the word. And there are four types of soil. There's the soil on the wayside. The devil comes, takes the seed. There's the soil that has no root. Jesus said that's where temptation comes and steals it away. And then the third one is that there are thorns. And these thorns choke out or choke out the seed with the cares, riches, and pleasures. Cares, riches, not or, but and. Cares, riches, riches, and pleasures. Now, I thought about that for a moment, and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you have riches and pleasures, you mean you still have cares? Don't we automatically assume, oh, if I had a million dollars, I would era, that would solve everything. Well, evidently it doesn't. You can have everything, but still have cares. Cares, riches, and pleasures. <laughs> I, I stopped at Speedway a while back to, to get some gas, and I only mentioned Speedway for this reason, but, uh, and I had my large coffee in my hand, which I got for free, of course. You know, when you get a free, you get the extra large, you know. So I had my extra large coffee, and I'm waiting there. And, and the couple guys in front of me, he was taking a long time with the cashier and asking all these questions about his points balance. 
and this and that. He's going on and on and on. And now, I think I have like 3,000 points, and that's like three free coffees. Okay, so great. So he's talking. So I, the other lady started talking about it, and then I got up there and I said, boy, he was having a hard time with his card. He says, yeah, the guy has 13.2 million points. 13.2 million. I said, what? And he says, yeah, and he's, and he's telling me he doesn't know what to do with them. How did he get that? So anyway, I, so, and the guy, the, cash register, the, guy, the cashier said, you know, that's the equivalent of $11,000. I said, so wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy has $11,000 in free gas. And he's still confused. You can have riches, you can have pleasures, and you can still have cares. See, folks, we need to become wrapped up in Jesus, not ourselves. We need to seek the things that are found in the word, not the things in our own minds, our own possessions. We need to follow after his disciplines, not our own pleasures. Now, he has come to give us life and that more abundant. We have abundant life. We enjoy things. We enjoy indoor plumbing. <laughs> so, we enjoy things. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. We're supposed to enjoy life. That's not a problem. But we have to understand where the riches come from and where the riches need to go back to and how we need to bless others with our riches. And that leads us to the last point, being an encourager. Being an encourager. Paul said, these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, to the point of death. Epaphroditus was sick. Timothy, if you remember from scripture, was always sick. Uh, he, was, he was called timid Timothy. And he always had some feeble thing in his body. And so Paul said, these two guys are encouragers. And the word here literally means good cheer good comfort and good cheer. Now, first of all, we are encouraged by Jesus in our lives. That's, that, if you want courage and you want encouragement this morning, I'm sorry, it's not going to come from anything you can see, touch, taste, or feel. It's only going to come from Jesus. That's the foundation of our encouragement. It starts there. Uh, actually, um, uh, Pastor Yuri read it, and I didn't even, didn't even talk about it, but I, was, I have it in my notes. That little woman with the issue of blood for 12 years touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus turned, and, turned about and said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer, because guess what? You're about to get healed. Mark the 10th chapter, when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, the blind man began to cry out and said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him to be quiet. Shh, 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 don't bother the master. Shut up. You're just a blind man. Don't, God, no, we've, got to, we've got to get more of the rich people to come to Jesus. You don't have anything to give him. <laughs> but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy. And, and I love the word says, and Jesus stood still. You know that Jesus is standing still right now in your life. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's not running from you. He's waiting. He stood still and commanded him to be called. And he said the same thing. 
man, be of good cheer. Hallelujah. God wants to know this morning, Jesus wants us to know this morning that we could be of good cheer because he has given us everything that we need. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We've got every key to every lock to open every door. We've got all the provision we will ever need. Listen, when I look back in the word, and I see, I see God say to my father Abraham, don't be afraid, Abraham, because I'm your shield and I'm your exceedingly great reward. And Abraham said, how great? And God said, look at the stars and look at the sand. That's how great of a God I am to you. You can be of good cheer, Abraham, even though I'm telling you to go to a strange land that you don't know anything about. Be of good cheer because of what I'm going to do. When I see the hand of God providing for Israel all through the wilderness, it gives me good cheer. When I see David defeating a giant monster with only one small stone, it gives me good cheer. When I see Joshua pulling down millions of tons of concrete with nothing more than a shout and a broken pitcher, it gives me good cheer. When I see David run through a troop and leap over a wall, it gives me good cheer. When I see the one who was healed that was sick, the one raised from the dead, the one that was saved as a sinner, that gives me good cheer. When the word says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that gives me good cheer. When the word says, I'll be made strong in your weakness, that gives me good cheer. I can have good cheer this morning. I can be encouraged. I can have courage in spite of what's happening around us. But that leads to that last point then, doesn't it? And that is, if I am encouraged, guess what? I've got to be an encourager as well. Finally, brethren, Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, farewell. (laughs) Now that sounds final. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort to one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Oh, I can live my life as a living sacrifice, seeking the things of Christ, not my own things. And in doing so, I can be encouraged, like Timothy and Epaphroditus, and I could be an encourager. I could be like Epaphroditus and say, you know what, I'm sick unto death, (laughs) but I'm still going to keep moving forward. Paul wants me to bring this letter. He wants me to bring his clothes. He wants me to do, do, bring this thing to, wants me to bring this love offering to this old person over here and do that. I don't care if I make it, like I said last week, if you're occupying till he comes, you're going to occupy. And if all of a sudden you see the face of Jesus, you're either dead or the rapture came. But you don't stop. We don't stop. So if I'm going to find success in my walk as a believer, It starts by being a living sacrifice and seeking the things of Christ. Then I find my fulfillment and courage in him. And then I become an encourager for others. I've said it before, and I'll I'll say it again, as I look out at this group of people in this sanctuary, and it's the same in, in every church just about. There is nothing you have experienced in your life. There is nothing that you have experienced in your life that has not been experienced by someone in this room. I don't care what it was. I don't care what the divorce was like. I don't care what the death was like. I don't care how long you were in prison. I don't care anything. 
Everyone in this room has experienced something to encourage you in. Not, not me. I don't know nothing. <laughs> I can help here and there, sure. But I know together as this body, every one of us has experienced something that we can help someone else in. There is more encouragement, more strength, and more hope in this one room than the entire Congress of the United States, than the entire United Nations, than in the entire government of every nation on earth. There is more in this room than they have. Because I read in the word, where any two or three are gathered, Jesus is there. And I'm pretty sure Jesus isn't at the UN. (laughs) We're here. He's here. And that's all we need. That's all we need. This is Bower Heads. Father, I just thank you so much for the testimony that we read of these two brothers. (laughs) That they were living sacrifices. They didn't stop. They kept going. They kept moving. They were seeking one thing, Christ. And as they sought you, you kept them filled. You kept them healed. You kept them strengthened. You provided every need. You paid for every train ticket. You paid for every plane ticket. You kept the electric on because they were laboring for you. And they became encouragers. And as we're going to see, they were like-minded. They had a proven character. They were faithful against the odds, too. All because they became living sacrifices. Father, help us to lay down our lives for you every day. Not in a morbid death kind of way, but in a joyful way that says for me to live and to die is gain and to die is Christ. For me to live, I can have all his strength, all his beauty, all of his enjoyment, all of his authority in my life. And we can have it as we keep our eyes on you. We thank you for it, Father, and we're going to praise you as you continue to lead us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Now, I'll ask you, and keep your hands down, because I don't want to know, because I want this to be between you and the Lord. How many want to be a living sacrifice for him at every level? Jesus, Jesus, show me every day how to do it. Hallelujah. Let's stand together in his presence. I'm glad that we have that target for us, right? Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate living sacrifice, and that's what we're heading for. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Turn around. Hopefully next Sunday we will be back in the 21st century, and everybody can come and wash their hands. Hallelujah. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go pray.